Managing a remote workforce is the new normal and the new management and leadership challenge in business, in the near term and also in the long term. Today's guest, Tom Liebelt, has been living the remote life since before it became a thing. He lives in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and has some valuable tips on best practices for managing a remote workforce. This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, helping you see business issues hiding in plain view that matter to your bottom line. Welcome to Business Confidential Now. I'm your host, Hannah Hassel-Kelchner, and yes, today's guest, Mr. Tom Liebelt, is joining us from beautiful Chiang Mai, Thailand. Tom has had a number of international escapades. You might say he's like a little bit of a marketing James Bond in that as a child, he learned how to sell and negotiate through getting haggled by Russian vendors. His family left Poland to escape communism and came to the United States, and as immigrants searching for the American dream, he watched them take any job they could just to survive. And as a young man, that struggle instilled in him a deep desire to never want a traditional job, and it led him to forge his own path as an entrepreneur, a publisher, salesman, and one of the top Polish hip-hop artists. Today, from his perch in Thailand, he runs Smart Brand Marketing, and we market online courses. He's published around 5,000 Kindle books. That's remarkable. Built a successful SEO and online course marketing business and succeeded in numerous other ventures. And what's remarkable about this success is that all of these ventures were bootstrapped. None were done with outside funding. So let's find out more. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Tom. Thanks for having me. I actually enjoyed listening to that intro. I was like, wow, he's a very interesting guy. You want to meet this guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did after listening to it. I've never heard the marketing James Bond. I've heard people describe me in a lot of ways, but yeah, I like this one. I'll, you like I'll this borrow one. That. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, Tom, you've had an amazing entrepreneurial journey, and of all the places and all the towns and all the world, how did you happen to land in Thailand? Um, it was sort of by chance. Um, when I left the U.S. to kind of slow travel, and and um, I felt you know comfortable enough that my business was running well enough remotely so I could, you know, test it out. First, I moved within the U.S. quite a bit to kind of, you know, stress test the business. But once I've done that, um, I met a group of people who were having conferences around the world and they were actually building legit businesses um, doing the same thing, you know, not like wannabes, but legit businesses. And the first conference where I went to with them was in Berlin and then I realized that the main conference that they're having every year is in Bangkok, in Thailand. So, you know, they kind of brought me in. Initially, I didn't like it. Um, but as I came back, Thailand is one of those places where on the surface it's nice, then it gets really annoying, and then it grows on you, right? Like one of these, like, you've got to go a little deeper to actually be like, wow, this is a really good place to live. Um, so I kept on coming back and eventually it became one of the places where I go back to the most. And now it's home. I would say part of the year. I still, I mean, with, you know, with COVID going on, we, we really can't choose much. I, I, you know, I'm really lucky that I, um, I'm here. Um, but I still like, you know, going back to the States for four months a year, um, going to Europe for four months a year, 
so I, I I still like other places too, but overall, yeah, I would say this is you know like my second or third home because I I move between you know I have an apartment in the states which I go to and then I have a place I stay to stay in in Warsaw in Poland. So I would move you know like kind of but I have offices set up in every one too so I can just get back to work immediately. It doesn't affect my business at all. Well, let's talk about these offices. Uh, you know, as an entrepreneur and someone who's taken multiple startups and grown them into profitable business, I'm sure at times you've probably wrestled with deciding do you work alone with a partner or having employees? Tell us about your thought process in deciding between these options. I've done all of these. All of these. I I've worked alone. Um I've worked with employees, I've worked with partners multiple times. So the let's start with the partner one. That's a very tricky thing, right? Like most of us when we pick our business partners, we want to work with friends or we kind of get thrown into something, you know? Right. And it's always difficult. <laughs> it's always difficult, you know, like we you know, a lot of arguments, a lot of uh, it's like a marriage. You know, it's like a marriage. You're, you're pretty much going into another relationship, long-term relationship, and then it's going to come with a lot of ups and downs. Um, the only thing I really can can advise in that is, you know, first think, would I be okay sitting next to this person on a 17-hour flight um, internationally, right, with no gadgets, no distractions? Um and if it doesn't pass that, that's an automatic no. If it does, it's like, okay, well, maybe. Then the second thing is, like, can you divide the roles properly? Because I've made this mistake before, too. Like, I've had a partner with a business, and then, you know, we all kind of had the same skill sets. And it made zero sense. Like, we, we you know, we were kind of stepping on each other's toes a lot. So the successful partnerships I've seen is when you have completely different skill sets. Like one of you is a good soft skills person, like you're doing sales, marketing, advertising, team building, and the other person is a hard skills person, which is good at building things, coding, the technical, right? And then you completely separate um, the roles and things usually run much easier. Uh, but as, you know, once again, it, it's a long-term thing. So, you know, you're going into a kind of like a marriage. So it, it's definitely going to come with a lot of pain. And and even the best partnerships I see um, with some friend businesses, they're all bickering and going through this. So, you know, it, it's an easy way to get gray hairs, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you got to set those boundaries, healthy boundaries. You do, so. you do. But, you know, it is with any relationship. You're going to have, you know, days when you're kind of, you know, not on the same page. So it's great. Um, because in some ways, if you have the roles divided, you can grow very fast because you have two people hustling hard and everyone's focused on different things. You can, you know, outgrow someone that's doing it by themselves. But it's going to come with a lot of those negatives, which I just wanted to address. Those are the trade-offs. So, it's a trade-off. So, yeah, absolutely. But this thing about remote employees... Um, yeah. You don't have to sit next to them for 17 hours on a flight. They take their own flights. They Maybe they don't even fly at all. The, let's talk about managing a remote workforce. You know, yeah, one, one fear that old school managers have about remote employees is that somehow they're goofing off and only spending half the time they should on what they're getting paid to do. Well, what would you tell executives or managers who feel that way? 
Well, some are. <laughs> some are. So that the, 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 that uh, comment is halfway correct. You know, it depends on your employees too. Look, remote employees is a challenge, right? Like finding the group for your business will take a while. And I've went from you know micromanaging to almost zero managing and in between, everywhere in between. So what I found with the businesses in COVID, especially the ones that started, right? Initially, people get super excited. They get to work from home and then the productivity drops off a lot. Some take on multiple jobs, you know, because the business will never know. And this is more of a character problem than an employee problem. So when initially we were um, hiring the remote employees, this was like, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Um, my main focus was, do they have the skills, right? So if we need writers, do they can they write? If we need um, coding, are they good coders? Right. right. Uh, that was very mixed when it came to productivity. Recently, what we've done is we give them a personality test and we give them test jobs to do. So skills are maybe... 30, 40% of the hiring process. Everything else is more of a personality test. Will they be able to, one, overcome obstacles, right? That's, that's the results we're looking for in this whole test because it's geared towards you know, remote workers, the test that we compiled. And the second one is, are they okay to kind of talk back in a way, right? Do they have the confidence? What happens with a lot of workers, especially if you start hiring in Asian countries, um, they will disappear um, because they just don't want the conflict, right? And it, that's what kind of goes down to. They'd rather just not do anything, not say anything, and get a different job than argue with you a little bit. And that's a trait you actually want because, you know, since you don't get to sit around, not everyone's very comfortable, and people are scared for their jobs because, you know, they, you don't pay them, you get upset, they're fired. They often tend to shut down when something bad happens. And bad things happen all the time in business, right? Like we, we, you know, we have ups and downs. We have to put out fires constantly. Right. So what we look for in employees is, one, a bit of a you know, drive and self-confidence for one to be able to solve these problems, address them. And if they don't like something you've said, to tell you why and maybe give you a better option. But two, the main thing is, you know, when they have a big obstacle to actually go and try overcome it instead of just being like, oh yeah, this, this job sucks, which, you know, is a normal thing. As to team building, which is kind of important to one remotely, right? Since you don't have like the morning roll call, like you do in a lot of, you know, businesses, like, oh, get her around and let's see how many things you sold today or, you know, we have a meeting or team building, you know, let's throw the ball and call your name, like all this stuff I've seen in companies that I've worked on before. What I've found is having the manager be more of a, more of an organizer, right? So when I think of them, like, think like Obama, right? Like a very good organizer, community builder. That's what you're kind of looking for. And their job is more to create a friendly environment than being someone like, um, and these are not really known figures, but someone that's pretty much only job is to make sure that people are working with a whip, right? Which is like a supervisor. Mm -hmm. And, and the thing we've done 
in our business, which helped this a lot, is we let the employees write their own culture, right? Obviously, the, you know, the team um, builder, the manager was uh, driving it, but we let them draft those documents. It wasn't me writing down what kind of company we have, what we expect, what you know, sort of environment we're looking for, um, when people will get fired. I let all the employees come together and write that themselves. So they own it. They own the, you know, the environment. Like they wrote down exactly what they want and what they don't want. So now if someone messes up and, you know, like I, I gave them some constraints, right? Like I told them, well, you know, let's make it a place that you want to work in, but we still need to make money. So some of the things I want you to address in these documents is like what happens when one of you is sick, when wants to go on leave, when can't work, you know, so things still need to get done. So they wrote all these things in, and now if someone doesn't follow it, I'm like, well, you're not following your own rules that you guys wrote down, and the next step is also written in the document, so this is what's going to happen. So there are not really questions or bad feelings towards me about any of this. It's like, well, you guys came up with it, you know, and and it becomes easier. Yeah, I can see how that becomes easier. But let me ask you this. When, when somebody yeah. new comes in, all right, you had a group, this is how it got started, and they, they drafted these policies, and this is, this is how we're going to play the game. Uh, when somebody new comes in, do they get a say for how they get to play the game, or no, these are the rules now, we decided, and if you want to play, this is it? That's a good question. So this is, this is what we do. Um, everyone that comes in to the company has a three-month probation period. Okay. Right? This, is, this is that no-nonsense, like you mess up, you're out. Because I, I found if people can't be consistent for at least three months, it's not going to work out well. That you know, usually is the time frame we found. So in these three months, you learn the way we work, the way we design things, and if you don't like it, you just go go away. Right? It's sort of like I think Zappos. When you get hired, you get told, "We're going to give you two thousand dollars to go and leave the company right now." Right? Before you even start the job. Like as soon as you're like, you know, we'd rather have you leave if you want to just take the money. So we're a little strict in the first probation period. As soon as that's done, the person that worked with us for three months, they've seen how we do things and we let them give input into the documents. I see. Okay. So it's a, it's a, a living, growing document, what you're saying. It is, yeah. So if, if you've been around, because, you know, people change. Like maybe the old guard left, and this happens with, you know, everything. Like when I used to work in the music industry, you know, we've seen like the levels, you know, like the, the guard that was living in the 70s, they had their own ways. And the people in the 80s, they had their own ways, right? So everyone was like, you know, telling you how things should be. Right. And then when you the new guy coming in, the intern and stuff, you're just like, this sucks. This is completely, you know, tipped. <laughs> or, you know, times changed, right? Napster came, blah, blah, blah. Like, things changed. So I, I understand that. And things work quicker now and move quicker now with the way things are online. So we want to make sure that the people actually working in the company, they are evolving their document. It's not just they're like the constitution, right? Like someone wrote it 500 years ago and now we're following it blindly. Because things changed, right? Things yep. evolved. This is why we're Absolutely. having so many problems in the U.S. now. And the same problems would happen in our company if we don't allow the new people to, you know, sort of. But they still have to follow the same constraints. We can't all of a sudden go like, you know, if my feelings are hurt, I can leave for five days and no one does the work. Like, that doesn't, you know, it's, weird. it's not going to cut it. But if you have something insightful, like, you know, this rule 
maybe worked for the other people, but for us it doesn't. So here's an example of when this happens. Often with online businesses, you know, if you're starting out, you sort of go for the lowest cost remote workers, right? Which could be India, China, the Philippines. When you grow a little bit or you want to go into more tech, you will often go more into Eastern Europe or parts of the world, mostly Eastern Europe, that is like the next step up in the more educated workers. Um, and then, you know, you, if you have to do sales and, and marketing, you might move to Western workers, you know, UK, Canada, Australia, America. All of these are different cultures. And often when, when the guard kind of moves, right, we're moving from this area more to this one, things will change based on the culture, right? Like even with sales, Australia and the UK, for example, are very different from the America, very different mentality, very different in the way customers want to be sold. So depending on which type of workers we have, the majority, we're sort of going to start leaning in that direction because they will you know, overpower the, the other ones, right? Right. So the document might change also just based on the different cultural differences. Right? And it's it just evolves, you know, like if we had a bigger percentage of Asians, it's going to be a little different. And if we now have a bigger percentage of, you know, and I still want to make sure that everyone's kind of covered under, under it, but, you know, the majority does usually rule. So um, that might change. And if we didn't, then you can imagine, you know, like the, the Western people would be like, well, this doesn't make any sense because who was this written by? And it's just because of a culture difference that maybe wrote it before. So it does need to evolve a bit, but I found as long as you give people input and you let them kind of create the roles in their own environment, uh, things work pretty, pretty okay. Sounds like they do. Sounds like they do. In your experience, what do you think is the biggest mistake managers make when supervising remote employees besides not letting them have input? I mean, clearly this is a, a path that you've found is successful by letting them kind of craft uh, the the rules of the culture, so to speak, the policies and the procedures that they need to follow. But aside from that, what do you think is is a mistake that people make when managing a remote workforce? So I, I think, in my opinion, the biggest mistake is when you're managing them, um, you need to once again be more of a community builder than a guy with a whip. You know, like a, like the type of typical bully or or micromanager. I just found it doesn't work as well online. You know, people will push back. They'll they'll go for different jobs. You you'll lose your best people. When you do have very low end tasks, you know this is when. But I, I mean, my friends do it, but it still never works out so well. You can you know have something like those um. Uh, the, the, that software that you know uh, looks at people's screens and kind of takes screenshots every couple of minutes, so you're kind of you know on top of them. But I find they always find a way around it, and it's, it's, you know, it's a problem. It's really the personality. You're looking for personality more and character over skills. Skills can be taught. Personality character cannot. And you will spend more time keeping, I guess, the group organized and, and you know, on the same team than normally because, you know, there is no um, – Cooler talk, water cooler talk, right? Like uh, when I remember right. the offices I used to go to, like most of us got along by, you know, sitting before work or during lunch or just around the cooler and, you know, complaining about different things or excited about different things. That doesn't happen so much online. Most people get into their own crew of own routines and they, you know, they, they just 
don't have those opportunities. So that's the part that's missing and the one that you need to more, I guess, focus on. And what I find a lot of people do, especially in this time, they try to just move what they've done offline to online, which is I just need to make sure they're behind their desks and working. Well, you can't see what they're doing at their desks. So that already makes it impossible. And therefore, you know, you're just messaging someone, are you behind your desk and working? Well, let me tell you a story. I used to work at Poland Springs, which is uh, owned by Nestle. And it was a sales job, right? Where we pretty much, you know, it, it was a salary job. So it doesn't matter how much you sold, you were paid the same thing. So right there, you have a misalignment, right? So what a lot of us did, you know, we were outside sales and outside sales and remote, very similar, right? There was no company building. We had a, you know, a boss that just told us like, you need to make two sales per day. We would like fall asleep in the cars, hanging out. And if the boss called us like, oh, you out selling? It's like, we just opened the window to make the, get the noise coming back. Yeah, 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 I'm running around. Almost none of us did. And that's what's going to happen. You, you know, you can't stop it. How is he going to know what we're doing? And, and I always think back to those times, like if there is no incentive, if there's no community, well, like, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, yep. business as usual. Yeah, and it, it's human nature, right? So I think the biggest change for companies will be the management team. You're now looking for people who know how human psychology works and knows how to team build much more over, you know, before, like I just need a guy that listens to what he's, you know, the, the soup manager guy that listens to me and does what he's told and cracks the whip. It just doesn't work that way. So that's like the biggest change in everything. Other than that, people still want to, you know, um, feel fulfilled. They want to do a good job. Like all that stuff's still the same. A lot of them will be very thankful. Um, I think if you look back, JetBlue did a very good job with this way before COVID. This is like in the 2000s. Um, For a while, they were the number one customer service team out of all the airlines. Why? Because they found a group of people women with kids who they allowed to work at home and, you know, all the benefits that came with. Um, They had managers who were good team builders and people were happy and excited to work. There you go. Well, one thing before we close here, I I know that you had mentioned in correspondence to me that Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week had really a profound influence on you. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I was working in those sales jobs um, because one of my plays in, in the 20s was to, I was always pretty good at sales, but I didn't know why it worked, right? So I, I went from one corporation to the next, had them train me, I you know tried to sell, and then I left to move on to the next one. As I was sitting around, after like maybe two years of doing this, I was actually doing laundry in New York, I was sitting in my car waiting for it, I popped that book open, right? And I started reading it. And keep in mind, I was doing outside sales at that time, which means running around for about seven, eight hours through New York, all the different boroughs, not a very friendly environment for salespeople. And, you know, sitting in traffic for hours, and then it planted a seed. I was like, how in the world can you make money and work four hours from anywhere that you want to? And it took many, many more years for me to actually get to that point, but it planted a seed that I just could never shake. Now, there should have been a disclaimer in that book, which I learned later since I'm in the marketing industry and I know most of these guys. Tim Ferriss sold a company 
for I don't know how many million dollars before he figured out the four-hour work week. Right? So this was after an exit. And most people, like me, we read it before starting the company. So there were some problems and you know misaligned um, goals <laughs> with, with the whole thing, but it, it just planted a seed. And more than just working a four-hour work week, um, what I took out of that book is that you can create systems and use tools, you know, automation, um, software, whatever. There's different tools to help you set up your business in a way where, you, where A, you have minimum employees. That's always a good thing. And B, you can scale without having a physical location. As a, someone that did have physical locations, I had a record store before a coffee shop and all those, I knew what that comes with. You know, the mortgage, um, the taxes, unemployment tax, harassment from the city, you know, everything needs to be up to code all the time. And I was like, wow, if I can avoid all this, use systems, use these tools, and do it remotely, I mean, that is, I think, the best business model ever, right? And it, there is a lot of nuance in that too, like the type of business model you choose, but just the idea of having that be possible, that's, that's what that book did for me. The possibilities, the imagination that it fired up. Well, Tom, thank you so much. This has really been interesting. It feels like a tour around the world, um, <laughs> especially with the different cultures. So thanks so much for joining us here on Business Confidential Now today. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun. That's our show for today, but don't go anywhere. I have a really easy ask for you. Would you please open your podcast app and give us a five-star review and leave a comment about what you love most about the show? I do read them all, and it'll take you less than a minute. And while you're at it, share this episode. Tell someone about it, because the best way to grow our audience is by word of mouth. And if you want the detailed show notes, links to connect with my guest, or cool stuff that we talked about, or even if you want to ask a question or have a show idea, come on over to businessconfidentialradio.com. I'll catch you on the next episode, and in the meantime, have a great day and an even better tomorrow.